Hi, and welcome to the Canada's History Podcast. This is a special educator series where we speak with the finalists for the 2018 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Created in 1996, the award recognizes best practices in teaching Canadian history. It's an opportunity to highlight the important work that teachers and students are doing to research, interpret, and share the stories of the past. My name is Joanna Dawson, and today I'm speaking with Karen Randall Blancher, a high school teacher at Napanee District Secondary School in Napanee, Ontario. Karen's students took part in a youth-led project designed to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation's calls to action. Karen and her students formed partnerships with Indigenous artists and, during a two-month artist-in-residence program, students and artists worked together to create a 12-panel mural. The collaboration provided students with the opportunity to create meaningful relationships with Indigenous artists and knowledge keepers and to learn more about the stories and traditions depicted in the murals. Thanks for speaking with me today, Karen, and congratulations on being a finalist for this year's Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you. I am very honored and humbled to have made the top 25. Thank you. You're welcome. So first of all, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your school and the students you teach? Sure. Okay, so personally, as you said, my name is Karen Randall Blanter. Um, I'm a mother of five children, ages 21, 20, uh, 19, 7, and 4. Um, I was <laughs> a large age fan there. Um, I was born in Cambridge, Ontario, and I currently live in Napanee, Ontario, which is on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and the Haudenosaunee from Mohawk and Algonquin territory. Um, I've been teaching for 21 years and have had the opportunity actually to teach all divisions. I started out in elementary, so I've taught primary all the way through to senior, and I've also taught in adult and at-risk programs throughout my experience. Um, Currently, I teach at Napanee District Secondary School um, with the Limestone District School Board. Um, My focuses have been on literacy, Canadian and world uh, history, um, social science, law, and in the past four years, I've been engaged um, in the Native Studies teaching. Um, This summer, I recently have completed today, actually, my senior AQ for First Nations Métis education, and I have been inspired that I'm going to apply for my Master's of Indigenous um, Studies in Education with Queen's University for the summer of 2019, and I am an ally. Um, So, Napanee is a small town. Uh, The town itself only has 5,000 people. Um, but it, Greater Napanee encompasses 15,000 people. Um, so we're a rural community, um, and the students come from about an hour span of the town itself. Um, the current population of our school is about 900 students with about 100 teachers and support staff. Um, and we are located 15 minutes from the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinte from Tandanaga Mohawk Territory. Um, traditionally, students from the territory would actually avoid going to... Um, um, sorry, the traditional, they would traditionally um, avoid their native heritage and come to NDSS rather than attend Moira Secondary School with Hastings Prince Edward um, that offered an impressive Mohawk program. So we are very proud to be working on the mural project because NDSS has about 5% of its students self-identified, but that number every year keeps growing as we're starting to create a culture of interconnectedness and the students are proud of their Indigenous heritage. Wonderful. So before we get into um, more detail about the project, why don't you tell us what inspired you to start this initiative? Um, 
I'm, I'm a huge proponent of student voice and student action. And when I started um, working with Native Studies, um, I was teaching actually at a different school, Queen Elizabeth CBI in Kingston, and was asked to teach a grade 10 Native Studies and a grade 12 Indigenous Peoples in the global context. And I thought I didn't have a lot of a background, but I realized that there's always a draw somewhere in my teaching to embed Indigenous content. And as I was looking at it, I realized that I actually had more of a basis um, but a colonial standpoint um, on a lot of what I, what I was teaching. So I was very excited to be given the new opportunity, a little bit daunted and overwhelmed. <laughs> um, but these experiences allowed me to go to conferences like the Inspire program, um, where I met um, a company from Saskatchewan called Converging Pathways. And Chris and Kali um, create a, create, sorry, has created a program called the U-Rock Challenge. So we Skyped with Chris and Kali. Kali told her story at Chris is an ally, and Kali is um, um, a 60s scoop survivor. And so she spoke to the students and told them about the whole program, and they threw out the gauntlet to this U-Rock Challenge, which asked the kids, to create a youth voice and youth action. And the kids stepped up to this on a smaller level at this point, doing sharing Indigenous teachings and participating in activities. They became the um, youth mentors and went to the neighboring elementary school. And it just started to grow and grow. Um, at the same time, Napanee District Secondary School was looking at um, student voice. And they were saying what they wanted to see was Indigenous art within our school. They wanted to start to see their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I had taken my students to visit Queenie Mohawk School, which is the elementary school on the territory, and they had the most stunning murals of Sky Woman, of the Thanksgiving Address, and of the story of the Peacemaker, um, which you may commonly more be familiar with. It's the basis of the Iroquois Confederacy, mm-hmm. um, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So the students as well were in awe, and they're like, can we have something like this at our school? So with the murals of Target, the students and I started researching, how do we do this? What does this look like? How much does it cost? And I said, go with it, and I will facilitate your ideas. Not knowing quite how large this project was going to end up being, to be completely <laughs> honest. It kind of had a life of its own. It was like a bubble that started out small and kept growing and growing. As the interest and the support just kept infusing this balloon, um, so I started to apply for grants um, because everything needs money. Mm-hmm. So we applied to the Limestone Learning Foundation, the Napping Community Foundation, the school board, the NDSS Alumni Association asked for teacher support for their reunion and offered to give funds to a project that that teacher was working on. So um, I did everything and I applied for everything and we were very pleasantly surprised over the course of uh, the semester with grants coming in. Um, but at first, we only had a small grant, so we didn't think it was going to be quite so big. We were going to start with one set of panels <laughs> of the medicine wheel, and, and each year, maybe we'd get to do more. Um, but as you know, Canada 150 was happening at that point, point in time. The Truth and Reconciliation um, push for recognition within the school was happening, and the students were inspired. Um, and so local businesses like the Home Hardware, um, Heart and Heart Screening, um, ended up helping with speeches with the project for funds, um, clay construction and landscaping with a beautiful limestone rock that was just installed. It was actually donated from my property um, uh, to 
the honoring plaque um, to honor the land that the school stands on. So this this project has been this giant, beautiful thing that has evolved. Um, I can't I can say that's where it started, but it just kept growing. I don't know where it stopped. And it's, still, it's still growing, I swear. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. It's really nice to hear um, how involved the students were throughout uh, the whole process. Absolutely. Um, So can you tell us, um, take us into sort of the classroom, I guess, and tell us about the process of actually creating the murals and working with the artists and the knowledge keepers and and just describe that process for us. Okay. So um, (laughs) the... (laughs) <laughs> this is a, I'll, I'll try to break it down. If you can, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, as I said, the original intent was to create it and save it. Our library is a circle. So when we tried to do any activities, we wanted to use the library because it was, it just called um, that, that indigenous worldview of the circle. So we thought about hanging the mural in the library. Um, what has evolved is it's become three, uh, sorry, three panel sections in the directions of north, south, east, and west. And they are four by eight foot panels each. So there are 12 of them in total. Um, we, uh, we ended up going through and we hired Maureen Walton, who had done the... Um, oh, my goodness, I'm I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we had hired Maureen Walton, who had done the murals with Queenie Mohawk. Um, so she worked in partnership with Indigenous painters because she is an ally. Um, and uh, we ended up having Rick Ravel, who is the author of the I Am Algonquin series, and he was the knowledge keeper with her, and they created with the students the brainstorms for the East of Medicine Wheel. Um, then we ended up, I thought, okay, so we ended up getting more money. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do now? Um, so what actually I was suggested by many of our my knowledge keepers is what if more than one painter was represented? What if more than one nation was represented within this, in this medicine wheel? The kids found that a fantastic idea. So Rick was speaking to the students one day and told them about Onagate. Onagate lives in Kingston. He's an Ojibwe, um, Ojibwe Métis, and he paints in the woodland style. His residential school name is Morris Blanchard, um, and that's how sometimes you can search him. Um, he brought uh, Linda Garrow, who he calls Mahegan, um, so he could translate and speak to the students in Ojibwe because he'd only, he always told the kids he only had about a uh, kindergarten level of speaking English because he, he his main language was um, Ojibwe. So we brought him in, um, and they created the most deep, authentic connections painting the south of the medicine wheel. So the next painter was introduced to me by um, Troy Miracle, who was a former classmate at NDSS of mine, and he is the um, Hastings Prince Edward consultant, um, Aboriginal consultant. And Kirk Brandt is a Mohawk artist currently living in Ottawa area, and, and he was creating a mural in Picton, and he also painted on the Canada C3 expedition ship for Canada 150. So it was really fantastic to be able to get him in, and he created the East because the Mohawks are the garden at the eastern door- doorway of the Confederacy. Last but not least is a really unique section. Originally, we had asked Jay Ojik. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's from Kitigan ZB Anishinaabeg Nation near Ottawa, and he is the author of the um, Kigagi um, graphic novels. Most people right now know him because he is the illustrator for the newest Robert Munch book, Black Flies. So we had just started in process with him deciding if he was going to actually do a graphic design. Was it going to be a paint? And the release of Black Flies came out, and... You couldn't get a hold of him. He was so busy with everything with that. 
So he felt really bad, um, and we totally told him it was okay. Um, I think the kids were very disappointed. They were excited to work with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he still kept his hand in it, but just not as a painter. So we went back, and the kids had talked to me about it, and they said, well, we've got the three artists. We've got three panels left of the North. Why don't we have each of the three artists paint one of the, the panels? And it can be a combination of the three of them. Because the, the North of the Medicine Wheel is like the end of a lifespan. It's the renewal, the reconciliation. So they sat down with each of the artists. The artist said, yes, we will come back. And they worked with each of the kids and created the most beautiful northern um, doorway, um, which is beautiful. Um, so each section of the mural took on so many levels that there was so much sharing and storytelling and just even the the impact of the interactions between the students and the knowledge keepers, the Indigenous students and the non-Indigenous students, and the Indigenous students that are not even ready to identify themselves as Indigenous. The connections were indescribable. Um, It it shared a culture of traditions and history from an Indigenous indigenous perspective that allowed the students to re-look at Canadian history itself and how this fit in. So, I can't even begin to explain how imperative it is having knowledge keepers in the classroom. The painting was the outcome of it. The interaction was the entire learning process. So I'm sort of envisioning, you know, everyone sitting in the library painting and and talking and asking questions and sharing stories. Is that sort of how this happened? Um, not in the library. The librarian would have killed us. No. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So it was not in the library. We were actually, um, we were worried about where we were going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up, we have a, a computer lab because they removed all the computer labs um, in, in the wisdom of how we use technology. Um, and um, so we had this, this computer lab that was kind of stuffed full of old equipment and that we moved a bunch of it out and brought a bunch of desks in and we used the old blackboard so they could paint on it or on the desk. Sometimes it depended on the artist if they were flat or whether they were up. And it ended up, because we we had painters going in and out at different times, sometimes they overlapped and everything. So you have to imagine this painting area where um, I'd have literally, sometimes if it was with Maureen, she'd have, um, we set up a system where it was about three kids at a time, and about every, um, every, about every hour they'd switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Onagate loved the conglomerate of kids. So there would be 20 kids painting two different murals, there would be Onigate and Linda talking and telling stories. And then people would pop in from the hallway. I'm sure the other teachers were so, so very patient with me, thank heavens, that they allowed them to sign out of their classrooms to participate in this project. Because it wasn't one set class. It was the entire school invited. Right. And it was absolutely phenomenal. So they had, they were in and out, and they were great big stories. And Onigate would tell stories of the murals themselves. And then he would tell a story about being not in a residential school, but in a residential workhouse because Métis children, he told the students, were considered half-breeds, and half-breeds didn't need to know any education. And so he would give them that perspective. And it was so monumental to have them. And they were so uncomfortable when they started. Onagate's got a ponytail, he's a big, tall man, and he's standing around in his leather clothing, and he speaks in Ojibwe and broken English, and they're looking at me and they don't know what to do. <laughs> right. Yet 
these students, these these big burly hockey players, and and uh, these quiet girls, and these outgoing kids, and the popular kids, and the artists, and it was this this conglomerate of students that kept signing up, and they just couldn't get enough. I still get to this day, when's Anagate coming back? When do we get to see Maureen? Are we going to do another painting project? Mm-hmm. It's very impactful. And which is my my next question was, um, what impact <laughs> did you see this project having on the students and particularly their understanding of Indigenous history and culture? Um, okay, so um, I think I, I, I ended up half answering that a little bit earlier in the in explaining like how the relationships that were created um the conversations were was was the impact um i would say that through the connections the stories the actual physical painting um some of them weren't i'd say i can't paint and so um on the top he turns to me does you have beats and i'm like yes yes we do and so then over in the other corner there's kids listening to stories and and they're beating um the project um, allowed students to have that primary resource, um, which they think primary resources are just those those resources that you know that letter from the past or that document from the past. Yet they they're understanding that oral history is a primary resource, mm-hmm. and um, it blossoming into this this ability to not just speak to one knowledge keeper, to have many knowledge keepers come in, and then they had other knowledge keepers that asked to come and view the project. So it started to create a, a comfort zone and this this school that maybe wasn't looked upon as an inclusion school for Indigenous students. All of a sudden, that doorway's got that crack in it, and, and it's created that 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 comfort. Um, the the only other thing that I would say to that um, would be that it didn't stop with the mural. Um, this mural, the students realized that when we did the grand, so they planned the grand opening. The next set of students came in, and some of the students that worked on the mural um, had graduated. Some of them were doing other things. And so I had my new group of students come in, and they planned the opening where we would share the story. They learned how to make corn, corn soup and fry bread from a new elder um, from the territory. They created the 12-minute video to share the project. They did the financial planning for the grand opening. They, um, we did a deco creation. We were trying to figure out how to tell the story. You can walk in and say, wow, that is a beautiful picture of, of the story of the peacemaker. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know the story of the peacemaker, you're like, whoa, who's the guy in the boat with the guy with the snakes on his hair? Right. You, you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so we realized we needed to have some way to be able to share the story. So we struggled with that. And the students struggled and financially can struggle. How do we do this? We've ended up with a beautiful medicine wheel deckle on the wall outside of the library, recognizing all the student contribution, all the financial contribution, all of the knowledge keepers. And inside this medicine wheel describes what the directions mean from a traditional indigenous worldview. And it has the stories and it has the kids' names of the ones who wrote the story. For example, Trinity Skinner, a girl from Tendonega Mohawk territory, just more and so recognizing her culture she went to her uncle who told her the story from their perspective, from the Mohawk side of the peacemaker. And it's that story that's on the medicine wheel. So this, this, this project ended up having, we wanted to have somewhere that recognized the land. We didn't know whether or not we should do it inside the library or outside the library. And it ended up that we have a beautiful plaque that's going outside the school so that anybody that walks in the school 
can recognize the traditional territories that NDSS stands on. And then jokingly, Kirk Brandt said, oh, you're going to put it on a nice colonialist pose, pole too, <laughs> like the flaxita. And we're like, oh, maybe that's not a good idea. He said, you should put it on like wood or a rock. Well, we had just done recent renovations to our home and had large lines, pieces of limestone. So we donated a large piece of limestone that is now um, placed at the front of the school and we'll be putting a plaque that recognizes the land. And I've had a student that was one of the original inspirations of this project say to me, I can't believe that one day I'm going to be able to walk up to the front of the school and see that the school honors the land that my people Mm -hmm. had traditionally. That's impactful. (laughs) Yeah, that's powerful for sure. It is. It is absolutely powerful. Karen, I just wanted to touch on something you you raised was about how the students um, sort of thought about what um, Western approaches to history versus what they're encountering through this project and understanding indigenous perspectives to knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, was there an opportunity for them to sort of grapple with that or unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, we had a large discussion because unfortunately every course that you have still has to come down to some sort of summative assessment, right? Mm-hmm. We need to look at what the students that are actually taking the courses um, need to have as takeaways from, from this. What are the essential questions? And a lot of those times the students looked at me and said, I hate that we're getting assessed on this. Because so much of what we do feels like a reflection of my understanding, my comfort zone, my learning. And that hit me. How do I assess a lot of these things? Because a lot of times they are, where do you, where, what, what's your critical thinking on this? Where does Canada sit on this? How does Napanee fit into this realm? Where do you fit? What do you do when you engage in a conversation when somebody uses a slur? So that was a very hard part of that. Um, so we started looking at where they go when they need to be able to have direct knowledge. And we took a look at the actual websites from, um, from different territories, from Tandanaga Mohawk Territory, from Kittigan DB, um, from, from, from ones from, from um, uh, Australia or New Zealand that look at the Maori. What are they telling about their history? So there are lots of lessons about the lens of history and where that comes from, and how, how that plays a part on what history is being told. Then we also looked at the idea of how do we quote a knowledge keeper? What is that? Is it a primary source? Is it a secondary source? And that one, we're not completely clear on yet. <laughs> we were calling it a primary source, but then what if they're telling something that they were told, or that it was something from the past? So even the knowledge keepers, Rick Ravel, who wrote I'm Algonquin, said that he struggled and he told the kids this because this was fantastic for his research. He said, on the back of the book are all the research that I can find on paper that I quote and I can quote it in the proper referencing style. He said, I'm not allowed to properly quote all of the, when I got stuck, he says in one part of his book, when I got stuck and I needed to know whether the Algonquin could actually canoe down the Ottawa River in 1350 or whether or not they would have to portage. I couldn't get an answer in any book. So I had to go to sources and I had to ask. And it was, and it was, and it was in, you know, inherited knowledge from all of, from the past. And he was told, no way you can't. They <laughs> wouldn't have been able to do that at all. It would be unsafe. So he had said that um, all of the, you have to read the acknowledgements at the front of a book because those are all your oral sources. But he finds it very frustrating because from an Indigenous lens, they are sources that should be cited 
properly. And he's pushing um, with Thunder uh, and Press and different agencies to be able to actually have a, an APA or an MLA reference for the oral history now. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a, a great topic to discuss with the kids as well. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we um, move on to the next questions? The only other thing, I didn't know if you wanted to have a description of what the different panels looked at. Um, I know that we talked a little bit more about the directions, but I think that's harder to describe. <laughs> but I can sure. give it a kick at the can if you wish me to. Yeah, sure. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the mural? Okay, so the murals, what you need to picture is yourself standing in the middle of a library. And the library is circular. So if you stand in the middle and you have your back to the door, um, that is actually the north. So you would turn to the east and then... Um, in, in Algonquin and um, Anishinaabe, the medicine wheel follows in a um, clockwise pattern, but if you, it is um, Haudenosaunee, and Iroquois, it's counterclockwise. So the interesting thing about the first mural is it, it is, is Mohawk. So you turn to your left and you look to the east and you see a beautiful bluish-grayish three-panel um, of one story. So you see a man um, with a white face. Um, with feathers on his head, um, small feathers, in a canoe, and it's a stone canoe, so it's a white canoe, and he's paddling, and he's paddling with intent towards something. The middle of that mural has basically just the head kind of floating in the air, and it is the head of Tadotaho, and Tadotaho is the lead of the Onondaga Nation, who is tearing up the land, and there's major wars between um, the five nations at that point in time. And um, he has snakes on his head. So a lot of the students say, why does he have snakes on his head like Medusa? Is that Medusa? Because they're so used to hearing that from, from other histories. Then it, it, behind um, Tadotaho is um, land, and the land is on fire, and it's being burned. And it is such a basic picture that you just can take a guess at what's going on, and you can see the intent of the peacemaker going towards Tadotaho. Um, his story ends if you go counterclockwise, but that's the direction of the Mohawk, and that's the that's the the direction that we would go next. Um, if you were Anishinaabe, is you would go to the south, and the south is a um, mainly based in red. It is the direction of the youth, and it is in three parts. This was painted with um, onagate, and this one's really neat. It is in woodland style, um, and it tells three youth stories. So on one of them, you can see um, a, a bunch of butterflies, and it's a story of how, it's a long story, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but it is basically them um, and, um, and how the creation of the butterfly, basically the, the child gets angry and throwing rocks, and the creator changes those rocks into butterflies as a form to be able to help. Um, it also has a story of the owl and the mouse, and it's a story about not listening to your elders, and the consequence ends up happening from the story that uh, the, the elders are created in, into owls and the children are mice. So it's beware. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one of that one is the connectedness between families and the bear clan and the connection to the land. So it was three separate stories. The, if you turn to your right, you turn to Maureen and Rick's mural. Um, and this is a beautifully visually um, grasping mural because it has large waterfalls and, and giant crystals that are created within those waterfalls. And it has a, a planted field and it has the large foliage. Um, you see these little red creatures on one of the waves called the Mimikwishi, which they are the um, 
um, the rock people um, that are, are a little bit spirited as well. Um, and then there is a large black panther. And that Black Panther is Ms. Pichu, and he is the underwater um, uh, shapeshifter. Um, in our area, he is a panther. In Lake Superior area, he's a great lynx. Um, he's a protector, but a tad mischievous. Um, and um, he is also the lead, one of the lead characters in Rick's books, and his name is Makadawa Robin, and he's a protector and companion in the Algonquin Quest series. Um, the last panel is really interesting. Um, as I said, it was a three, the three different um, artists that sat with the students. Um, the students felt like it was like the North was, the North is the wisdom, the North is the knowledge, the elders, and the spirit world. And so we talked about that with the students, and they came up with the idea that with knowledge you gain understanding, which is the idea of reconciliation, which we call reconciliation. So the first panel, when you're looking at it, and you walk out, you see it all the time. And the first panel that you look at, you see Onagate's picture, and the kids and Onagate came up with the idea that knowledge still needs to be shared. So it's shared by, they have um, kids sitting around a campfire, and then they have kids um, with, a, with a laptop open, and then with a book. And there's Aww. so many ways to be able to share history. Um, the middle is the only panel that is vertical. So instead of it being four by eight, it's eight by four. And that's because it's the tree. The tree of peace that the, if you look back to Kirk's um, story of the peacemaker, that they end up creating peace and they bury the weapons underneath the tree of peace. So it's the large, beautiful tree of peace. And the last mural is particularly unique. Um, and uh, one of my students, Ariel, along with uh, Maureen, sat down and Ariel came in and she said, I've been sketching all night. I have an idea for reconciliation. Reconciliation is about the education. Our education, their education. Ms. Randall, you talked about um, Shannon Kostachin. And Shannon Kostachin is from the spirit world. Um, and I have this picture of her dancing in front of First Nations University. And uh, First Nations University was um, uh, the, um, the architect was Douglas Cardinal, who's an AP. And he also did the Museum of History in, in Hull in Ottawa. And so it's this waved structure, and it has a giant glass teepee. So you see that, and then you see about half of Shannon in her regalia. Yeah. And uh, it is an absolutely beautiful piece of work. Chokes me up. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that that sounds amazing. And, yeah, especially that last one you shared, it sounds very powerful for sure. It is beautiful. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Karen. And when you see your students again, please um, congratulate them for me and say thank you for all this incredible work and for bringing more Indigenous culture and story and art into their school and um, just engaging in this process. It's very incredible. Congratulations again on being a finalist for this year's Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Canada's History Podcast. To learn more about the Governor General's History Awards, to nominate a teacher, or start an application, visit canadashistory.ca slash awards. <laughs> <laughs>